This is not another one of those cast pod thingies, <laughs> is it? Tajans, man, I yeah, know it. I know it too, yeah, I know man. it too. I really do. At the same time, if you listen to that, that's myself rapping. I go under the name of Dead Set if you check that out on Spotify. But don't worry about checking me out. Today, we're going to check out Frank Barker. He's part of the 10 podcast, but also he's a first degree black belt in jiu-jitsu. And he has like six other belts in all other arts. Black belts, not belts. Black belts. So, if you don't know who Eddie Bravo is, Eddie Bravo is the dude who gave Frank his black belt. He also gave Joe Rogan his black belt. So, it's a pretty big deal for, like, he's, a, he's the baddest motherfucker in Australia, if you ask me. Um, we talk about the lessons Frank learned over his life, some crazy stories. He's off chops. He's full of energy, excitement, drive. Oh, you'll never need to have a bloody Red Bull after after listening to Frank, I'm telling you that. Anyway, let's take it away. But before that, I'd like to thank Will Darvo and all the people that sent in the mad messages about Innisfail's history last week. Mate, who knew about this area like that? Like, everyone's just like so excited and pumped. I'm gonna get Kevin Mond on the end of the year with Will Darvo, and we're all gonna get on and pump some more Innisfail history. But also, I asked you to check out the history of your own town because man, there's some crazy shit that would have happened in your area as well. So check it out. But let's take it away, Frank. Mate, thanks for coming. You're an awesome legend. Let's go. It's fucking raining. It's actually the uh, second storm of the year just starting outside right now. Second storm of the year? Yeah, we had one last night. There's a big one starting right outside right now. Oh, is that when you... <laughs> Is that like last time you, you got a lightning strike or something? Yeah. <laughs> hey, plug that in through your phone. Are you going through your phone? No, you're through your computer. Yeah, uh, so I'm going into actually a Zoom recorder now because my computer decided not to work either. <laughs> they don't want us to do this podcast, Frank. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm just trying to be a player. Team player. Team player here just for Australia. I've got no questions on me. <laughs> The videos were great. I'm not going to talk to you now because I'm going to forget, and then I'm going to think I already told you, and then I'm going to miss out. Well, Frank, guess what? I've got all my questions are on this phone that I'm talking to you on. <laughs> so we're just going to have to oh. fucking we're just going to have to have a yarn, mate. This is what we call a yarn. <laughs> I'm starving. I just got off the bike. I've got to do another podcast. Fucking let's go. Let's go. Go. Well, we're two minutes deep already. <laughs> No, it's been recording. I'll just find a good spot and <laughs> throw us in there. Everybody, we've got Frank Barker from 10th Planet Melbourne. How are you, my friend? What's up? I'm Ten? good, man. Hey, I'm starving. So, but I just got, like I said, I just got off the bike. I'm pulling mud out of every orifice of my body, my brothers, man. Fucking, we haven't ridden our bikes together for months because I've been injured. I've had two surgeries in 12 weeks. So, I haven't been riding in the last you know, few weeks. But, um, so we get together and it's Friday and I'm like, fuck. As soon as I saw the text, I was like, because Friday, my little brother, he gets all fucking poey, you know, and he wants to go on an, on an adventure, you know what I mean? And he, he finds all these fucking little nooks and crannies. It's been raining cats and dogs the last two days, 
Yeah. Right? So I'm following this the most experienced out of us three. I've got a t- three-time Ironman athlete behind me and a Kona Australian rep, that's my older brother, behind me. I'm in the middle. I'm thinking, what am I doing? My little brother, mud's fucking flying all over the joint. Anyway, he got bank, man. His wheels are spinning. He pops over. I'm like, shit, go. I, I lose traction. I fall over. My brother falls over behind me. And I'm looking. I'm like, this idiot in front of me, he's got no competition experience, nothing, never went to fucking no championships, nothing. And me and this buckle, I've got five Iron Man behind us. And I'm looking and where the idiot's lying on the floor covered in mud. Our players look like lamingtons, dude, you know, with mud and gravel and, oh. It's like I was, I was, uh, Mining for fucking minerals or something. Jesus <laughs> Christ. <laughs> well, they say you can't polish a turd, but you can roll it in glitter. <laughs> <laughs> That's a ripper. I'm, gonna, hey, I'm, I'm riding with them on Sunday. I'm going to tell them that. <laughs> you, you, can't polish up, you can't polish up a turd, but you can roll it in glitter. <laughs> Sorry, I've just got endorphins running through me because I just come off the bike like I mentioned, and um, I'm starving. So I'm like doing a, I'm doing a fast, a oh. non-voluntary one. So it's a bit of torture. You're gonna put me through some torture, Tony. So when did you, when did you start your fast? Was it six, eight o'clock last night or? Fast. I'm Italian. Yeah. We're in a constant digestion. Fast. Let's, let's, they call it faster, not pasta. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is uh, going to be terrible podcast, uh, I tell you. Well, well, mate, let's... Lose everybody. <laughs> mate, how many, fa- how many downloads are you getting a month, Tony? Uh, I think it's 10 million. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> I don't even look at that stuff. <laughs> don't even look at that stuff because I've got no sponsors to say, hey, look what I'm trying to do here. <laughs> mate, we've got no sponsors. Mate, we've had 116 shows, like lunatics, no sponsors. <laughs> All right, that's the best way to be, mate. You can be yourself, not get told by anybody, anything. Yeah, but you know that 110 million, that Rogan money, that's not bad. Bro. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was 160. <laughs> that CCP cash, bro, that CCP coin. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> bottomless, bro. Yeah, bottomless. bottomless. <laughs> no, all right, let's... How, let's... Much have? How much fucking money does China have? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, they, all they know is they got no power at the moment because we they wouldn't take our coal, and then they're like, "Oh shit, we need your coal to uh, make power." <laughs> and now they're like, "Oh, I will take your coal again." Double or nothing, yeah. motherfuckers. Double <laughs> or nothing. Australia, but Australia's too nice. They try to play too nice all the time. Who just told them that we can't? We don't want your your coal. And then all of a sudden we want it again, and we got to play nice. Fuck them. Fuck them, fuck them, Frank. Every time I drive, see, every time I drive to the dojo to clean it every day, because you know when nothing's moving, it's yeah, just it dust dirty. settles all yeah. the time, and it's just, it's shit. So I have to go in there every night, and I get a couple of hands to come and help. It's a big place, you yeah. know. So on the way to the dojo, um, all over the they've got these uh, over these over the freeway. They have these signs, you know, these big electronic signs. Just to let you know, traffic ahead, watch out, alien invasion, the whole thing, right? So they always put CHO order, right? Um, in is, is enforced by Victoria Police. 
Right? So you're fucking driving under these signs, mum. Like, what the fuck? Every time I drive under the signs. <laughs> the middle finger. It makes me sick. Listen, listen. All right. There was something going on out of China, 2020, January, February. We're like, what the fuck? Oh, we, I, we did the Nogi Summit. We, I did my first Australian summit with Phil Schwartz, who does a lot of summits around the world. Um, I was... I taught at Kotao in 2019, um, and they, and you know we, we we man we just you know when you just find your people right. I mean Phil Schwartz and I have been mates since we were fucking blue belts at Eddie's back in the day, and yeah. now he runs Ten Planet Portland. I mean fucking 300 students deep. They've got world class grapplers. Sam Hardy's down there with him. It's it's insane what's going down there. Um, so we get together and we jump and we make plans, and then you know 2020 January we hold the first training camp in the world. Like, we were the first ones. Yeah. And we got that done after. So by the 14th, 15th, we had done the summit. And then the next month in February, the wheels started falling falling off of everything with all this China virus or whatever the fuck it was that we thought was going, coming out of some lab or some bat in Wuhan or some shit. <laughs> but it all started. So the point I'm trying to make is that we did everything that everybody did. Like, I, I was like, oh, okay, fuck, I know nothing about this. All right, let's go. All right, all right, look. You know, it sounds a bit dodgy already. <laughs> a bat. <laughs> Are you, come on, come on. Like. Batman. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to say the wrong, I don't give a fuck. Listen, man, I didn't believe that someone ate a bat or a bat bit him or something like a fucking vampire movie. <laughs> I'm like, China, wet market. What? <laughs> they've had they've done that shit for fucking yeah, twenty million centuries, years. <laughs> right? So then I'm like, all right, all right, let's two weeks. All right, two weeks. All right, what's going to happen in two weeks? All right, everybody, we're going to take two weeks off from this date, and uh, you know, we'll uh, we'll get back to work. I'm like, fuck, two weeks. And I'm like, all right, okay, what the hell? We did it. We did it. Two weeks turned into. How many months? Open, close, open, close, open, close. Dude, I've been cleaning the dojo every night for these two years, bro. <laughs> you have to. You have to keep it clean. Look, Yeah, looking around and watching everyone's business is just fucking disintegrating right before our eyes. You know, it's just crazy. So the point I'm trying to make is that we, we did what we what everyone was told to do, you know. Because uh, you know, but then, mate, then you just start to see all the things that went on, the lies and the backflipping and masks, no masks. Start to worry. They they all reassured us that there was going to be none of this stuff. And as it went on, you know, all the things that we were talking about years ago, or well, at least the last hundred podcasts ago, with Manny and I, just in our own conversations, we started. People thought we were, we were crazy, we were lunatics. I'm like. You know when someone okay, this is how it was like for Manny and I when we when we started hanging out and started talking swapping ideas in 2017, 2018. Um, what didn't take us long to realise what what wavelength we're both on, you know, as hanging out as as um, two people who are you know experts in each other's fields. Like he's a professional musician, like a couple albums, he's a, he's yeah, a guitarist. Closure in Moscow, uh, isn't it? Closure, closure in Moscow, Moscow yeah. you know, like like. Fucking super successful band. I mean, maybe you not have heard about them. Yeah, they're mates, pretty big overseas. Boys, boys, just they're just recording their third studio album now. Anyway, so we gelled. We got along. Huh? We understood on lots of levels. So when we started talking about this, it's like this. Imagine 
me and Manny are in a small room with Joey Diaz, and he drops a fart, (laughs) right? Joey Diaz drops the worst fart, like an airplane fart. In that room, that Manny and I in there, wouldn't take long before I start looking at him, him looking at me. That's how we kind of, as soon as we smell, do you understand the the analogy I'm trying to come? Yeah. Like, it's, I can smell that shit coming fucking a mile away. (laughs) Like, and some people, they're running through it. It's burning their eyes. Right? And they're, they're, their skin's going orange. You know what I mean? They still, you know, don't, they, I don't know. I don't know how it happens. You know, yeah. people are, I don't so, know, man. I, I, I seem I to know, think man. people, uh, they tend to trust the government too much. And at the moment, there's a lot of uninformed people in, in uninformed position, in, in informed positions. So, yeah. But before we go all that, I want to um, just go back to Frank Barker first, and we'll run we'll run down that down that path because, mate, your whole career, your martial arts career, is, to me is fucking amazing, and um, I've uh, in, I've heard listened to your Tenth po- uh, Planet podcast a fair bit, like pretty much nearly every episode. So, so I've been there since nearly, nearly day dot, and um, yeah, I've I've listened to listened to them all and. His whole story, like, if no one knows who Eddie Bravo is, um, you're living under a rock because he's, like, the one of the best or is one of the... I'd say he nearly is the best in the world at his craft and um, what, he's, what he's been able to achieve in jiu-jitsu. And he's beaten yeah. the best, so, <laughs> so that's enough said. So, um, But where did all... I know you've done karate and stuff when you were younger and, and stuff like that, so you started off... Where did, what was Frank at six years old onwards? Where, where, what was his position in in life? I was a little soccer jock. I played uh, drums on my mum's uh, dressmaking stools because she was a dressmaking teacher. So the first drum kit that blew my mind was Peter Chris's drum kit. And I saw a film clip called Shandy. And um, there's a huge drum feel that's in that song somewhere in there. And I, I just saw him. And I had and, and the, the, the camera panned back and you see this drum kit where he was surrounded, just absolutely. Oh, the only drum kid I used to see was when I used to get dragged to a wedding. I'm Italian, right? So we had a wedding, three weddings a week, Every right? Week. So, so, so I just and a drum kit. When I saw this drum kit with double bass drums and kiss and my mind blew. So I used to set up my mum's stools and I used to stack them. So one stool on the bottom, one stool on an angle, and I had the Peter Chris drum kit, bro. <laughs> Yeah, I remember my first single that my mum bought me was um, Deep Purple, Black Knight, you know that drum intro? Yeah. Uh, So I used to play this brown record player just with inbuilt little speakers and I used to just crank that up and and play on my mum's stools with some knitting needles because my grandmother was staying with us because she wasn't well and uh, my mum's mum and um, I used used to make, you know, jumpers and shit. So she used to have these fucking mega long knitting needles so I used to just thump along. So I was a soccer jock. Um, I was a, 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 a wannabe drummer. I was, you know, I had long hair, like Ringo Starr, you know. Uh, I had a tooth missing. I'm trying, I'm white, trying, to, trying to picture your hair. With some Italian sauce on it. <laughs> I had a killer tan, probably wearing my yakka jean shorts, cute as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to picture you with hair. <laughs> I can send you one. <laughs> Uh, as you know, uh, I'll put up a picture. I might even screenshot this right now. Oh, I'm going to have to do it this way. And there we go. It's screenshotted. So it's sitting there right now on my screen. <laughs> so, 
Yeah, no. So, so you're a little drummer. So I did hear a story in your last podcast about a girlfriend you had <laughs> that you wanted to push her off the fucking bridge. <laughs> no, 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 no. no. <laughs> No. That's what I was waiting for you to say. <laughs> no. No. No, 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 no. Listen, I know I've had a lot of head kicks, but I haven't got a memory. I've got a good memory. Very good memory. Anyway, I sat her on the pillar of the bridge. Like you do. Yeah. You grab your girl when you're fucking, you know, 22, 23, and you grab their nice little hips, and you sit them up on there, and you kind of just, you know, you know. That's what was going on, bro. I wasn't going to throw no one anywhere. Let's just get that straight. That's what you want to... I'm trying to get it out of you. That's what you really wanted to do after she said what she said. I told you. We broke up in that second, dude. It was like the Thor dropped his hammer and just hit Cupid right in the side of the head, just flatlines Cupid, right? Out! Yeah. Gone! So she pretty, much, she pretty much told you, you, no, you're going to get a real job. And um, we're going to get married and have 30 kids or something like that. But, look, yeah. look, she was me. She meant well for me. She wanted good things for us, right? Yeah. But in her mind, that was that was what happiness was. And in my mind, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to be going driving a truck or whatever I'm doing, nine to five, if there's such a thing. And we know there's no such thing anymore. Yeah. And I'm going to make it. Yeah, and I'm going to come home in my overalls and uh, I'm going to crack a beer and... Just stay home all day. What about, mate, I was into everything. What? <laughs> nah, and I was just like, nah, that's that's like this. All I saw myself was like this. <laughs> Big friend wow, wow, right? Yeah, she was a great girl. I got, I got nothing bad to say about her at all. She was, she was cool, you know, super cool and, you know, um, beautiful and intelligent. And, but yeah, try and tell me you're going to do this. Oh. I am going to look everywhere I can around <laughs> it, under it, through it. Fucking, uh, <laughs> oh, I say all of it? Over, over, under, around, and through. Yeah. yeah I'm going to fucking. <laughs> going to weave. Gonna, dude, I just. Mate, I did not want to work for anyone. I worked it out really quick. I worked it out really, really quick. You know, um, I was. I had a little school. I was teaching when I was 15 in my driveway with my school friends for like. 15 bucks a month. I was like doing 250 a month as, as a 15 year old, you know, in 1986. You know what I mean? Yeah. In my, and then, you know, I opened my own little school down the road from the dojo. And it's only down the road, letting go. I was only 16. And I was running that, you know, paying, paying customers. I had 40, at my peak, I had like 42 students. I never forget it, and then I had that until I, until I was seventeen. I was in year eleven, and the teacher asked me to do a maths. There's a little side story, the, the, just to give you an insight into where I was thinking, you know, yeah. early on. Um, and with that story of her going, "You're gonna just work like this," you know, like no way, because I already had years of success, a little bit of taste of success. I remember doing. I was in general maths because all the maths I wanted to know about when I was fourteen, fifteen was cash. Show me chopper. Where's the cash? Where's the cash? That's all I was interested. The only mathematics that made sense to me, and no matter how many zeros, was fucking Ferrari money, Lambo money, <laughs> fucking Italian soccer champions money. You understand? Like Juventus, like fucking money. That's the only maths I was interested in. So I was in general maths with my best mate Packer, and um, 
and the teacher lays down a, an assignment. He says, all right, we're going to imagine we have a business. Pick your business. You need to list all your liabilities, you know, all your assets, you know, the money you take in, and you got to do it. Just, just uh, you know, like, you know, just make it up. You following me here? Yeah. You following me here? That's the answer. Yeah. You follow I'm, me. I'm just checking my bloody, see if it's still recorded. <laughs> you better be. <laughs> I'm going to start again. I'm starving. Starving. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> So I look at Danny and I'm not even paying attention. I'm looking at the requirements of the project and I'm like, this is going to be the fucking easiest math project ever, right? Ever. Anyway, no shit. I go, I've got a business. I've got a lease. I've got insurance. I've got real cash. I've got real students. I've got real equipment and real at like rental expenses, electricity bills and shit. And I'm like 16. <laughs> Not many kids those the local days. Primary school. The local primary school, bro. I did a project. I took photos of my equipment, photos of the dojo, people doing karate. A freestyle, I was a freestyle karate uh, black belt back in the day. From from nine years of age to um, 29. Yep. Yeah. For 20 years, I was a freestyle third degree black belt in the in the BJC, the Bob Jones Corporation, the, the, the Zendokai freestyle karate yep. movement yep. through the 80s. Oh, Bob James, up, I've known a couple of people who do Zendu Kai and they talk, yeah, they rate all that high and it's pretty much one of the most dangerous um, forms of karate. You're like, this the... Listen, our kata wasn't so clean. We weren't the best at kata. Yeah. But fucking fighting, we could fucking throw down, bro. We could throw down and talk about eclecticism. Like his mindset was so eclectic. Bob, like I don't agree on everything he did, but a few things I, I did, I stuck to it. I, I did a 30-man kumite. I did one of the original, uh, the blood grading, which was the, the second degree black belt in um, Zendo Kai. It was 30, 30 rounds, two minutes, fresh opponents, no rest. Yeah. Um, you know, barely rest. Um, against national rated com Commonwealth level kickboxing champions, like no weight classes, you know, like no grappling, no grappling, just, <laughs> you know, kickboxing elbows. No takedowns. Dude, I was like at 62 kilos, 21 years old. I was one of the youngest ever to yeah. do it. Anyway, um, and by the way, all of Bob's boys, no matter what state, they were all on the big doors of the big clubs, mate, yeah. all fucking year long for years and years. They would do all the festivals back in the fucking early 80s, late 70s, all that fucking shit. Down, down Sunbury, down here, you know, in the outer, skirt, outer regional areas of Victoria. Dude. Dude, the stories they used to make. All the black belts were hired, literally in Victoria, to do a to do a um, a festival, like a three day weekend festival here in Melbourne. Fuck, dude, bikies coming in, them scrapping with bikies, punching through helmet visors and shit. The stories were fucking endless, dude. It was. Yeah. Let me tell you, that's the era that I got raised as a boy to um, twenty nine. <laughs> <laughs> This I've I've I heard. Shit, bro. <laughs> I, I need counselling. <laughs> I need counselling. I'm telling you, I need help, bro. Help. I've heard stories that um, when you, you you get a necklace with a star or something on it, is that a bushido cross? Yeah, there's that's two, it. There's an dude. Let's talk about this in a minute. Let's just wrap up the assignment. I handed in my assignment to the teacher. Our yep. business assignment. Yeah. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Right? Going back, and um, the teacher called me. To the principal's office and they called my parents to verify <laughs> frank we're worried um 
you have insurance, you were, you had photos with all this money, like where are you getting this money from? They thought I was a dealer. They thought I was a dealer. They rang my parents and my mum goes, yeah, Italian. To the principal. My son, he's crazy. He's been earning money. She fucking throws me under the bus. He's been earning money since he was 15 years old. <laughs> So, mate, anyway, my dad, listen, my dad owned a milk bar, Rocky's Bread House, Morland Road, Brunswick, the heart of, it was like Little Italy before Ligon, it was just before outskirts of Ligon. Yep. Out of North Mountain there. Yep. And um, as a, dude, as a four, five-year-old, he used to put like a, like a couple of hundred bucks worth of ones, twos, and five-dollar notes. This is 75. 76 yeah. in a brown paper bag to empty the till like run this up to nonno my grandfather used to live maybe 250 meters on moreland road in those massive terrace houses that are worth fucking three million dollars now yeah. right double story he goes run this to nonno he'll know what to do i'm like all right i didn't even care i wasn't nervous i didn't care i thought it was it felt like i was carrying my lunch it looked like i was carrying my lunch yeah that's probably the best thing to do is carry like get your kids to do it look they haven't got anything and then he used to point me he used to see me out have a look point me and go go and he used to push my ass like push me forward (laughs) and i used to fuck (laughs) like gallipoli the runners in gallipoli (laughs) i was running for my i was running dude Anyway, do you know how many times he sent me on a smuggler's run? My dad, mate. <laughs> Fucking, he put those ideas in my head, mate, straight away. <laughs> That's a good story. Oh, uh, <laughs> well, hey, oh, sorry, sorry. One quick story. Sorry, someone was trying to ring me. How do I, uh, uh, shit. Can I block phone calls? How do I do that? Yeah, I don't know. It's not popping up here. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, cool, cool. One time, one time, we're in a hurry. I jumped in my dad's old um, Valiant. It was a Valiant Chrysler. It was olive green. It had fucking steel louvers on the top. It was disgustingly <laughs> awesome, right? It was disgustingly awesome, right? Anyway, it's like 75, 1975. He used to have a money bag. Like, it was bananas when I think of it now. He used to have a white money bag from the bank. He used to put all the 20s, the 10s, the 5s, all the notes rolled up and like a banded dude. You my dad was gangster when it comes to wrapping cash. Yeah. He was fucking like on, I think of it now, and I'm like, fuck, dude. Because he used to like it, man. He used to like it. Bloody he used to it, like that shit. Would it look like the, so the, the piggy bank in the squid game? <laughs> I haven't seen that dumb shit. Anyway, listen, let's not interrupt my story. I'm starving. Listen, so... This bag is like the bag. Imagine the cartoons, the Looney Tunes cartoons, and there's a money bag and it's got a big dollar sign on it. That's what this bag was exactly. So anyway, my dad was in a hurry. So he just quickly got to go. So I closed the door and the money bag was sitting on my left hip. So I closed the door and it was just barely ajar. But I was shitting my pants. My dad was yelling at me, mate. My dad looked like a fucking giant to me when I was five years old, right? Right? Yeah, loud, screaming Italian. Like, fucking, I thought I was going to die every day. Like, it's no biggie, right? <laughs> So I just closed the door and we took off. He took a right-hand turn. The door swings open. The money bag's on my hip. I'm falling out the car, <laughs> grabbing the money bag. Money, money, fucking going across Mullen Road. Peak traffic. My dad's fucking driving the valley and he's grabbing me by the hand. 
<laughs> I thought he was anyway. going to say he, was, he grabbed the bag and let me fall out. Fuck you. <laughs> so if that gives you an idea, that was that was my that was before ten. All this shit went down before ten years of age. Anyway, so to wrap it up, so I did this. I aced the fucking assignment. Like fucking hell. Like I was a superstar for about three point eight periods. <laughs> <laughs> they probably come to you for hitting you up for tips after school. The teachers. <laughs> hey, listen. It was a mystery to them. I was the smallest, the lightest. Fucking, but I used to do shit and I used to find out because there was no internet. Yeah. So people used to find out about some little things and they were, it was funny. People would look at me and still size me up, but I was small. I was fucking <laughs> helpless. I was a little guy. I had like a good right hand, a leg kick, a jump back spin kick, a really good one. My jumping, my jump spinning back kick, dude, I used to knock the wind out of a lot of people when I used to throw that kick, especially when they hold the, the shields. And, you know, back in the early 80s, the shields weren't that good. Like, they didn't work out the foam combination so well. <laughs> Dude, I would donkey kick these guys so fucking hard, and I would drop them all, dude, drop them all with a backspin kick. So, anyway, that's all I had going for me. A good jab, maybe a right hand, a good duck and a weave, you know, boom, body kick and run. You know, I was good for that. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> it was funny, dude. Those days. So, uh, so anyway, you, at the twenty nine, um, you asked me about the the bushido. Cross. Oh, bushido cross. Yeah, that's right. Let me tell you something. All right, let me tell you something. I got raised in a time period where your fighting ability, what it was like. You know what I loved about the first fifteen years of Zendokai in my life was that it was like jujitsu is to me now. Yeah. Where we've still managed to keep the currency of the belt system pr as pretty high compared to fucking everybody else, yeah. compared to the karate and all that. I mean, Perfect. I've got nothing to shit about yeah. I love karate and all that, but, you know, the, people aren't, like, throwing down every night like we are. Like, yeah. we're throwing down every night, every mm. night, every night. And it doesn't matter if you're a brown belt, a black belt, a, a, a blue belt, a pearl belt, you fuck, you're throwing, someone's coming at you or you're coming at somebody. This yeah. is just the... And, and Zendo Kai back in that time was a lot like this. Every night we sparred. Every night. Every night. Very rarely we didn't finish with, you know, five, seven, you know, two-minute rounds. Now, two minutes doesn't sound like a long time to jiu-jitsu people because, you know, our rounds are a lot longer. But, dude, standing up yeah, and fighting with just yeah. striking, but, mm. dude, it's very aerobic. It's, it, it's, it has a, an, an endurance element to it, you know. Fuck, you, you can't get hit every time. No, you, you have to, be able to make it miss and block, and it's very wary. It wears down on you. It's not an easy thing to as as you think. Mm. So, so that reality kept us very. It kept everyone. I'll give you an example. When I joined, there was twenty five kids that fucking first night. Yeah, it's the same story. That's how hard it was. It was pretty hard, and we used to do testing. So when we used to do these 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 cutters, you know, we had to do these these, oh, these breathing exercises, right? Just to to build like intestinal fortitude. It wasn't to fight, but it made you fucking tough. And they would test you by hitting you. They would hit you in the chest, punch you in the stomach, flat out front kick you, right? They would come behind you. They would punch you in the back. They punch you in the arms. They punch you across the hands. They would hold your wrist to see if you could still punch and move while they were holding, dude. They put your their fucking hands on you, dude. <laughs> they call it they call it the shime shimewaza. They call it the, uh, it was Japanese for um, iron shirt training. So 
You can't do that now. <laughs> you can't put that demo on at a shopping center. The security guy, you'd be carried out in cuffs for abuse. Like, <laughs> you do one lesson, that'll be it. She's all over. So, so, yeah, so the reason I'm saying this is because the, the first cross you get was called an, uh, was, was the uh, Tamadachi, right? There's an issue across, which is the female equivalent of the Bushido cross, okay? They're like a warrior. It's a gift that you get that we say you're you're a team star. You're committed. You're dedicated. You have good skill, great skill. You're a great teammate, great person. You're working on yourself. You're nice. You know, like, you know, all those great qualities, you know, you're loyal. You've been training with us for four or five years. You compete. You know, you're proud. Um, you understand what I mean? Yeah. Like, these qualities. So... At first, when you're underage, when you're under, like, 16, you get the tamadachi. is like, a, a longer version of it. It's like a rectangle cross. Yep. And when you come of age, when you come of age and you get the Bushido cross, which was a, a, was given as a silver cross, um, you were an adult. So, you you know, you'd, you'd proven yourself as um, a worthy male um, in the Zendokai system. You know, you're probably a black belt at this stage, and you're probably a black geek. And a black G symbolized like toughness. You were you were given as a gift, you're presented with a black G. So the black G is something you always wanted. Number one, I used to like mixing and matching my G, you know. <laughs> a black belt with my black pants with my red stripes and then my black G and my silver cross and I was fucking ready to go, bro. You know what I mean? I was fucking My mum always taught me, you may not be the best. On the tennis court, but by, by golly, you're going to look like you're the best at the tennis court. <laughs> that's, that's how my mum said, take pride in your appearance too, you know. So I liked having, being tough, having skills, you know, being competitive. I didn't have to be the best. I was little, but fucking, you know, have a crack and then be recognised to be strong and, you know, be part of the team. And it was beautiful, dude. Yeah. Those days, mate, those days were, you earned it. You earned it. So that's the point I'm trying to make. That were yep. really strong days. I can use that word, um, or tough, tougher days, and no kids' classes. Yep. Nah, man. Mate, when we used to get a new belt, dude, I'll never forget my, the first fucking hell, the first few years, we used to have these black gee kickboxing, though they were like state-level, national-level kickboxing champions. Gary Cook, Rob Chelsea, Paul Flint, uh, Paul Flint, we, uh, Paul Fitzpatrick. We had some. We had some. Noel Coon was a teacher. Frank Gauci was there. Uh, they, they were, they were hard, man. They were hard. They were hard, and um, they were all. Most of them were black geese. And when we used to get a belt, like okay, I got my green belt. I was like eleven or twelve. They used to beat shit out of us just to remind us. Oh, you got a belt. Oh, yeah. well done. You got a new belt. <laughs> How's that new belt feeling, eh? <laughs> it's the same thing in jiu-jitsu. So as soon as that person gets that blue belt, everyone's on them like a fly. <laughs> Hell yeah. Fucking cheers to that, yeah. bro. Too many blue belts beatings. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, okay, you're in the real world now. <laughs> you can't hide behind your white belt anymore. There's a color on you. Why, you know, as a white belt, you know, after 28 days, it goes from 25 your first night to three, you know? Yeah. Dude, it's... It was, uh, yeah, but those days, man, um, those days were great. Yeah. Um, look, for me at the time, oh, that, that was, I, I really loved, I was a physical kid, you know, like, rode bikes, um, where we weren't allowed to, 
We've got drenched riding bikes, didn't give a shit. We'd starve, you know, we didn't care. We just kept going. We had like an extra gear. Me and my brother, Vince, we were animals, dude. We, the way we played sport, we were very, very competitive at home. We tried to kill each other with cricket balls. We had a cricket pitch that was like three and a half meters long and we were throwing <laughs> bouncers with a freaking a kookaburra, you know what I mean? Like full, full, full tosses at each other's heads. I tried to kill my brother a few times. I swear to God. But fuck it, I'm going to kill him. I tried to kill him. Dude, there were red marks all over our wall. We had like cream bricks. Dude, it looked like fuck. Dude, it was, I'm telling you, man. We tried to kill each other. Anyway, so so I wasn't, I wasn't gonna die. Like no matter what I did, I, it was hard. I wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't gonna die. Yeah, I wasn't gonna die. But so we were hard nuts and we loved and we were super active. So you know, um, I just loved that. And my brother kind of didn't like the physical close proximity type stuff. The thought of fighting it scared me to death. That's why I wanted to do it. I was like, fuck, at least if I can get good at this, I'll be scared. At least I can fucking throw, throw a good, couple of good shots, you know? <laughs> and, um, you know, uh, you know uh, invariably I did, and I learned some valuable lessons and made some lifelong friends. I still am in touch with our chief instructor and my original first martial arts teacher, Sensei Noel Coons, is a, a six-degree black belt now, and um, he's moved in and he's moved on with other projects. He's doing a lot of classical martial arts, and we see each other, you know, once or twice a year, and... Sometimes it's a funeral, unfortunately. You know what I mean? These days, everyone's getting on. It's been a long time. So, um, you know, 42, 42 years. So they were a little bit older than me, of course. So they're, you know, they're a little bit older as well. So, But they're all still training, man. They all still value exercise and, and taking care of yourself. That's and, you what know, I want to hear. Protecting injuries. Don't come back too soon from injuries. And yeah. So I listened to everything they told me. I was just one of those students that I you didn't have to fucking tell me twice. Actually, I could actually make the rest of the the paragraph in my head like before they would even would even come out like I kind of knew where they were going I had this knack of kind of feeling where the rhythm of the conversation was going even as a young person you know I actually never gave myself that much credit um, as a young person but I think in my own simple way that I was probably shy about um, to admit especially being a young person and being you know small and everyone's big and dangerous <laughs> as a protective mechanism but if I look back now I actually was I actually approached things quite maturely regardless of my age because I understood things really soon like hard work my uncles man my uncles were into soccer athletics my mum's brothers my god dude these guys were like um, state level um, representatives for their school they ran at Olympic Park me and my brother ran Olympic Park we all did all that all the boys ran Olympic Park um, I think my brother's relay team actually held a, a state record at one stage you know what I mean like yeah. and they pushed us hard they played tennis with us they taught us soccer they come over on the weekend and push us we did drills in the backyard like <laughs> my brother played soccer at a high level right up until 18, 19 um, he, he's a he's a Kona Ironman triathlete I've done two Australian Ironmans yeah. he's done two Australian Aussies and he's done a world championships as well so I mean, Kona's guys, uh, in Hawaii you know what I mean yeah. I don't know if I'm rambling but I don't know. Yeah, you know, it, it, it shows shows like your family and and how good just like the upbringing and how like just you know it's got it's got to definitely come down to your parents to put all that drive in you as well. So it's my mum. My mum played A grade squash until I think she was like thirty nine or forty or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my mum, mate. The worst the worst sporting moments of my life was I played tennis for a long time. I played tennis from. I want to say 10, 10 years of age. I still, I still have a hit now with my daughter, but and I'm still pretty capable. But I played until about 20. 
played a good solid 10 years, competed, like constantly competed, played A special as a 14-year-old. Um, I played in Vic, Vic, Victorian, like, schoolboys tournaments, like the big tournaments in the state. Um, my, my mom, man, she and my uncles, they were very sporty, and very, like, raised us on World Cup, Olympics. If the Olympics were on, man, I'd, and, and Australia won the swimming, and they'd be standing there with their hair wet with a koala with a gold medal, and the flags went up, I'd, like, I'd fucking stand up. Like, yeah, <laughs> I would stand up, bro. I'd get all choked up, like, in my, in my own mind. Yeah. I used to watch... Uh, um, uh, day, uh, um, was it um, one day it's cricket one day internationals Pakistan, India, Sri Lanka uh, uh, West Indies, Australia England you know like the good old glory days of cricket you know Rod Marsh Dennis Lilly Jeff Thompson Jeff Marsh all those guys Alan Border Booney. all of them right <laughs> Dave got Booney with a big gut like how do you fucking do that shit right? he's a legend yeah like <laughs> I, man I was just summer I was in the three foot pool come in wet Ringing wet, watermelon, like watermelon marks on my face, sitting cross-legged on the couch, getting yelled at because I was wet. Like, I was, I was a little prick, you know what I mean? I was a <laughs> shit of a kid. <laughs> <laughs> but getting into that, from 29, when did you start your jiu-jitsu journey? Is it 29 oh, onwards? Good, or? Cause, that's um, a good question. Yeah, because, mate, if no one knows, you'll know now, but it, Frank's a 10th planet black belt. He, his belt was given to him by Eddie Bravo, and as I said at the start of the podcast, he's just an absolute fucking... Not too many people get given a belt by Eddie Bravo, so you've got to be pretty proud of that. Um, without a doubt, the most magical um, moment in my entire martial arts career. Um, look, even, even, even... I mean, Iron Man 2003 was phenomenal to finish that race. Um, I was. I went through so many battles that day. I don't know, even know. I used to. I was so hard on myself. I went ten hours thirteen, um, ten hours seventeen rather. On my second attempt, I went ten. I went ten hours forty-seven in my first. But anyway, that was. It was heartbreaking, but it was most. It was one of the most elevating, self-discovering experiences of my entire life. You know, being out on the road for ten hours plus. You know, at eighty. You know from 85 to 92 percent maximum heart rate for the yeah. entire day Stuff you know with 16 <laughs> other athletes it was, it was tough but just to draw a parallel i'm just trying to draw a parallel yeah. you know what i mean getting oh man um to become a black belt like as a brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt and although some people can listen to this and go ah brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt what are you talking about gotta wear a gator listen man no. i passed every test eddie put in front of me and if anyone, if you speak to anyone that has been through this process of becoming a black belt under Eddie Bravo and getting his confidence enough to go, oh, he's a blue belt, which to me was like, I got my blue belt in 2008. I was like, fucking hell, I just got ranked. I just got ranked by this fucking this guy. Like, what the hell, on my third trip? And then when I got my purple belt in 2009, um, it was a year later, but that's an interesting story in its own. So it wasn't one year. It was, it was longer than that. But anyway you make progress in the least the least expected moments you make the most progress yeah but anyway and then i thought i got my purple belt i'm like every time i roll with the purple belt that was fucking killers man i got i roll with the purple belt everyone's getting wrecked you look around all that's left are purple belts everyone else is dead like purple <laughs> belts were oh my god blue belts i thought i just want to be a blue belt when i roll with the blue belt ivan rakitic was the first blue belt i ever rolled with he was giggling he was like 65 kilos giggling 
30 of us black belts in other art all beast all getting necked every every 20 seconds by this guy giggling <laughs> and I thought if I could just get a blue belt of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu man and put it in there with all my striking and put my, my Muay Thai 15 years Muay Thai to hold all the ring experience all that stuff training with these champions and I'm like oh my god I'm set I'm set a blue belt when he gave me a purple belt in 10th Planet Jiu Jitsu and, and you know how many people were doing 10th Planet Jiu Jitsu back then I don't know if you know yeah not many Bingo! Shit! <laughs> you know you're not fucking many. Yeah. So I'm like, wow, there weren't that many purple belts in Australia anyway. Like, yeah, there were purple belts, but there weren't that many black belts really in Australia at the time when I was coming on. So um, then I got my brown belt, and I'm like, I'm, I'm almost, I can't believe it. To be a brown belt? Like, dude, I used to look, I still do. I mean, I, was, I used to, you know, going to Eddie's every year and training. That used to know I was showing up. I'd let him know I was coming. I wanted everybody there because one day I want to try and get close today. Every year I'd go back and I'd fucking try and get close to give him a harder time. I didn't give a shit if I got tapped fucking 13 times in a round. I probably would have cried myself to sleep, but, <laughs> but it wasn't happening that bad. But I was, but you know what? The taps went down, the taps went down, and I was, I was starting to get competitive in a lot of these spots. And I'm like, fuck. Dude, at the end of it, Eddie threw everybody he had to throw at me. Day class, night class, every day, for 10 days straight, every year. I've been there 15 times. Uh, I was there 13 times when I got made in 2015, July 18. And that was the most magical moment of my martial arts career, without a doubt. Yep. Because I'm just backing up with a bit of history, of my little bit of history of my rankings with Eddie, and I went from white to black. And first degree, actually. Um, I'm a first degree black belt. I've also completed my three years as a first degree as well. So I'm eligible for a second degree, but, you know, I've got to go there to get certified. So, um, you know, It'll happen it is what it, it is. Yeah. situation, you know, I don't, it's fine. You know, whenever it happens, it happens. But um, it's, it's every three years of service, dedicated service and improvements um, that you are considered. And once that happens, um, Eddie will, will, will rank me for a second-degree black belt, which would be amazing, you know. So I, I'm, I agree with you, man. Um, Do you to, feel to, like... To get ranked by a guy like that. Yeah. He I also... Know, he also... I mean, the first time I brother was on, on, a, on, a, on a DVD when I saw him in 2003. This was 2005, watching him before I found out about it because I wasn't in jiu-jitsu because to answer your question in 94 I started looking for jiu-jitsu but there was no one in this country that could teach it you know there's a lot of ego there's a lot of protectionism there's a lot of ego oh God. I'm gonna listen I'm not gonna put any names out there because you know we're all kind of we're all you know in the business together and you know I'm, I'm a nice person anyway and, and whatever it is what it is but um, I was treated so harshly at first that I was like, fuck jiu-jitsu. <laughs> I'm like, everywhere I'm going, I'm being lied to, bullshitted to, discriminated against, like, tried to get kicked out. People would talk behind my back. I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? I just want to love a white belt like everybody else. Yeah. Just because I've got, you know, nine yeah. black belts in other martial arts because I've bothered to do something and I'm older and no one's realizing I'm older because, you know, I probably don't look as old as I no, you don't. a year younger than I, than <laughs> you, I am. You actually but look younger than me. Is that it was confusing to people. I've been a martial arts my entire life. So I ate well, exercised, trained. I was flexible, explosive. I've done Iron Man, mentally strong, prepared. Like not my first dance. You know what I mean? So they, they would freak out. Like, oh, dude, I'm just, I just want to train. Yeah. Nah. So in the end, I said fuck it. And in 2000 and sorry, 94, I thought screw this. I went and did some other classical martial arts just for. I wanted to throw myself into Japanese martial arts like deep into japanese 
the Japanization of martial arts, like an authentic dojo. I, I got raised in church halls, youth group halls, community yeah. halls, uh, high school gyms. <laughs> right? I noticed that with your dojo now. It's got that the Japanese dojo feel when you walk in the door. It's got the, the wood along the inside of the door and the, and the separation between the door and the mats. Is it wood like a Japanese dojo? Yeah. Um, me and some of my awesome students of the past, we made that. We, we cut all that out ourselves. We made them all. All the banisters upstairs, downstairs, we did it all. Did it all ourselves. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> so, so I did Aikido. I did Aikido for uh, three years, got my black belt in, in record time under Michael Field Sensei, which is, he was the most prestigious Australian um, uh, Aikido and highest ranked Aikido black belt you know, in Australasia under Morihiro Saito Sensei, who was the guy that spent 23 years with Mori Ueshiba Sensei back in the day in Iwama, which is a prefecture, a Japanese prefecture. Um, um, sorry, I just got another call. Over in Japan. So, um, as usual, I always try and find the best people that I can afford or I can get to, yeah. right? <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I spent three years in a dojo and man, I learned how to break fall properly, how to really protect myself from having my arms broken. We do neck throws, head throws, like nasty shit. Like the way in which Aikido is presented these days, look, I've been out of the loop for a long time and I could be talking shit, but I don't hear about Aikido, you know, blazing, you know, trails in fight situations and, you know, street situations. And you only see it in a dojo, you know, where people are pretty compliant. So, but weapons, footwork, Kemiwaza, which is breaks falling, trained under a Japanese trained sensei. He, but he hated me. <laughs> but he hated me. He, there wasn't a day. Listen, I love him. I love him. And he's passed away. He passed away a couple of years ago. God rest his soul. But he, look, I think he, I think he cared about me. But he fucking made my life so hard. <laughs> Every <laughs> day I was in the dojo, he put shit on karate, striking, kickboxing, more time, and he would look straight at me, and I was sitting on my. Just taking it like a fucking champ. Just boom, 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 boom. I'm like, my dad's suddenly telling you got fucking nothing on that motherfucker. I don't give a shit. <laughs> so I got my black belt, dude. And um, he pulled me out for a couple of demos. And um, my, my Aikido started taking a real hard line because I started training with Patrick McCarthy Sensei, which is the most prestigious authoritarian he knows he's an encyclopedia of the traditions the civil fighter traditions the growth direction evolution with our made here thrown there who trained with who the, right up to modern day oh my god so decorated kickboxer he was among the first wave of submission grapplers back in the day i'm talking <laughs> back in the day um dude and um it prepared me so well for what was coming with sensei patrick man and it was like an MMA tradition in a gi. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Dude, dude we had collegiate wrestling, striking, Western boxing, um, catch wrestling. Dude, when I started getting into 10th Planet, it started to filter through. It started to filter through um, all of our Koro Chinati, which is the, I'm a fifth degree black belt and a lower master's level instructor um, in that and, I'm a, and, and directly trained under Sensei McCarthy. Man, this guy... Ah. I'm getting phone calls. <laughs> sorry. Stop being breaking my well known. Damn it. <laughs> anyway, sorry. I'm sorry if this is shit. Anyway, so back to back to Aikido. My Aikido sensei pulled me out. 
he liked the real, the modern version of um, Aikido, more flowy and all that stuff. But I liked the uh, Yoshinkan style a little bit where it was, you know, coat hanger and right on the face, not not under the chin, across the clavicles. No, I wanted to, to decapitate people. That's what I wanted. And my training with Sensei Patrick started to have this edge in my Aikido. I was starting to really put my shoulder in and I was going hard. I was trying, I wanted this to work. Like, I, fuck this, you know, like, uh, you know. He pulls me out for a demo. I give him my arm, and he fucking puts a, a second lock. It's called a Nikio grip. Anyway, it's a real bad wrist lock. It's a real bad wrist breaker, dude. It's a real bad wrist breaker, dude. He cranked that on so freaking hard. And then, and then another time, um, it was I was five days out of my wedding, right? Five, <laughs> five days. He's gonna break your win- your ring oh. finger off. <laughs> <laughs> we've got we've got okay so he, he see I got married on the, the 8th of November so if you train one minute on the 1st you're charged for that whole month right yeah. <laughs> I just got my black belt the week before I got my black belt the week before and I show up to my first black belt class. It used to be called the Yudansha class. Yudansha in Japanese means black belt class. Black belts only. Yep. You understand? Black belts only. And we trained hard. For one hour, we're trying to murder each other, right? I swear we tried to murder each other, right? There's about 35 black belts. Now, I had to... It's my first class as a black belt. I'm getting married in five days. And he was invited to my freaking wedding. You know what he does? Yeah. And I love him for this. <laughs> he was such a badass motherfucker. He really was. No, he really was. I wish I could give him a gift. I would have get him a wallet and put it with the bad bad motherfucker written on it, you know, from Pulp Fiction. BMF. He definitely deserves one of those wallets, bro. <laughs> anyway, he pulls me out and he goes, he goes, ski, you know. So I had to step in and fucking do a, you know, fucking one of these. And he hits me with a, it's called a, Yamazuki uh, sorry, sorry excuse me a Yamabuki Yamabuki is the two mountain fucking it was an Iriminage and Iriminage is one of those you know those Steven Seagal moves where he grabs them behind the, behind the neck and he, he draws them towards him and then he just fucking boom yeah. he just fly, and then he just start fucking he just coat hangers them right you know yeah. those moves Yamabuki there's, there's nicer ways to do it <laughs> but no <laughs> I went straight in and he just went over the he just went over the top of my punch and just fucking decapitated me dude. <laughs> I was like this five days before my wedding <laughs> No makeup's gonna fix that <laughs> oh. Look I had a fat lip for a couple of days, I had a little bit, you know, my nose is fucked a little bit, but we were all right. Thank God I was really cute, even when I was like 27. <laughs> so, it's all right. <laughs> so, other other people this don't is probably the worst don't know this podcast ever. <laughs> this is, whatever 2.8 fucking fans you got, like, fuck this. I'm never listening to this ever again. Oh my God. Because also, anyway, Joe, Joe, Joe Rogan Joe Rogan got his black belt off at Eddie Bravo as well, didn't he? Mm-hmm. I remember seeing yep. that one. So. It, yeah, man. Rogan so, Rogan got his black belt under Eddie as well, and uh, oh man, it's just to be. Um, I gotta tell you, since I was a 
since I was a blue belt, I would say to my guys when we'd lock up at night, you know, always the same thing. Lights go out, the dojo spotless, lights go out. They all go out. They know I want to go out last, always last out the door because I'm the first person they see. I'm the last person they see when they come and go, right, every night. So I turn around, I kill the lights, and then your your eyes kind of adjust. You can see the the wet of the mat because we've just cleaned it and wiped it down. And I got windows, so you see some light, the moonlight coming through, so you kind of see a little bit. So I stand there, I look at the front, I look at the lineage chart, you know, the lineage photos across the top of the yep. dojo, all the boys. You know, I, I, I like to, I take pride in trying to deliver, a good, I try and do my best every night, and they they keep me honest. So, I, you know, a little bow, walk out the door. We close the door. And since I was a blue belt in jiu-jitsu under Eddie, I used to say to them, if it all ended tomorrow, this is, this is like 2009, like middle 2009, even as a blue belt. And, I've been, and I say it every night to myself, I just go, hmm. I just remind myself. If, I just say to myself as a blue belt, if, if it all ended tomorrow, I swear to God, I swear to God, Tony, I swear to God, I've had such fucking moments in my career <laughs> with so many psychos, <laughs> I swear. <laughs> so many, dude, dude, honestly, right? I've been in California after training. After training was like 2009. It was like uh, 2008. It was probably 2000, 2009. Eddie. Uh oh, we've lost you here for a bit, Frank. There he is. <laughs> Are we recording? Yeah, it's still. I just left it running. I'll edit it all later. <laughs> My battery died. <laughs> but and it looks like died. and you filled a bit of the other oh, battery. Charging, I'm trying to shove a biscuit down my throat. <laughs> charging the internal battery. <laughs> I'm fucking starving. <laughs> so I, anyway, I remember you're saying 2008, 2009. This is how good my memory is. And something to do with Eddie Bravo, I think. <laughs> oh yeah, I was just saying. I was just saying that um, I, I'm so lucky, dude. If it all ended, yep. I remember. That's right. That's right. I remember 2008 after training, standing outside the La Brea Dojo. Eddie had his black BMW back then. Rogan was there. Joey Diaz was there. Tate Fletcher was there. Um, a whole bunch of his brown belts were there. I was there, and um. Oh, there's a whole bunch of cool guys there. It was just uh, Hanato Larancha was probably there. <laughs> the <laughs> funniest man Connie in jiu-jitsu. All the boys were there. All, oh, dude, it was an amazing time. And we're just sitting around after class, just, you know, shooting the breeze and just chilling out. And I, I looked around, you know, and I'm like, holy shit. Like, I was just in such a, a great group. And this is when no one had really seriously blown up like they are now. Mm. These are people that are just coming up, yeah? Yep. Eddie hadn't have blown up that much. I mean, we we're at a time, 2008, 2009. Yeah, he had a lot of students, but we didn't have, like, that many schools. I was in the first seven schools. He's got 138 schools now yeah. worldwide. And we've had and we've had this freaking pandemic for two years. So can you imagine how many more students he probably, uh, uh, schools he probably would have had? Yeah. Um, if, if, you know, we took a bit of a hit, too, because, you know, everyone was freaking out, too, right? I mean, that's... It's probably the know. worst sport to be in in a pandemic because of... Oh, my God. The close proximity. But you know what? Ah, we'll make it, dude. We'll make yeah. it. We'll get there. Look, unfortunately for a lot of people, it's it's not the case. But fucking hell. 
Um, I was just actually wet when you're off. I turned my inside. I'm like, oh, I got a bit of a reminder of jujitsu last night. <laughs> oh, man. There you go. <laughs> Old finger scratched down the side of the face. <laughs> People trying. So, to- can I answer one of your earlier questions that I probably didn't? And that was, when did I start jujitsu? Well, I actually started looking for it in '94, but took breaks because I had these interruptions. But, but after my second Ironman 2003, that's when I said, you know what, I need a project here because. I'm just going to keep running like Forrest Gump. I'm just going to keep going until like the wheels fall off. So, and there's a lot of pressure on my marriage too because in those two, three years that I was training, it was like Olympic style level training. So I was training under an Olympic coach, athletes that were world class, some of the best athletes in Australia. He, he, you know, he was head coach of the '92 Barcelona track and field team. You know, my triathlon coach Tony Benson. Yeah. And he was an Australian representative. He was like top three in Australian running. He he he, he ran with all those famous Kenyans back in the day. And the 70s and the 80s, the glory days of distance running, you know? So, um, I don't even know why I was telling you that. Fucking hell. Anyway, fuck, sorry. Uh, I'm trying to think. So, 2003, 2003, 2003, I thought I've got to get I need a project. I need a knuckle down. I need some structure. I don't want to get divorced, you know, because my wife, we had two little babies. Like, Andre was only like, barely three and caprice was barely two and karina's a new mom and i'm fucking out 29 and a half hours a week training for these races and i was running the dojo every night and on weekends just like listen here buddy you want to go ride your bike ride your bike off the side of a cliff you know that was that was weird <laughs> so i had i always had like a, a used buy so we had agreed that 2003 april was going to be my last iron man but but I could do some half course, you know, some half Ironman and some short course racing and, you know, stuff that wouldn't take me, you know, away that much. And I could keep my fitness up and, you know, a healthier, more uh, more realistic being a married person and with young kids and a business <laughs> might be a good idea. So, anyway, so, um, yeah, so 2003, I got my, uh, I started 2005, I was a blue belt in the gi. And then I stumbled across Eddie's story, and um, 2006 I was in LA, and since 2006 to now, it's been 15 years. Um, this past September that that I've been with him. So, yeah, um, and to the the people out there that don't know the difference between like Tenth Planet and the normal, like what do you call it, IBJJF or IBJF, whatever it is, rules is Eddie Bravo's style is um, more. Like we call it no gi, so there's no you don't wear a gi, but it's it's a wrestling look. You got the wrestling tops, and but you also Eddie likes to wear the the gi pants still when he rolls and stuff usually. So yeah, I do, I do too usually. Yeah, because it, it would. I'm guessing it would help with the grips and like you can sort of hold on to people, but they can hold your legs. That's the only thing. That's the only difference. They can hold you when you can hold them. Sure. A good way to a good way to talk to think about it is if you look at Eddie's fight against Hoyler in 2014. I was there. I was there. And um, in 2014, the gi pants actually made those electric chair sweeps easy. Yeah. For Eddie, easy. But when he put him in the vaporizer, because Hoyler was allowed to grab his shit, that saved his leg from being mm. completely torn off. Seriously. Yeah. Seriously, that guy's so tough and so so gritty and so so courageous to not tap to that dude let me tell you man you don't have to grab my toe and pull it down that much in a vaporizer for me to tap (laughs) my knee it's like a toe hold a calf slicer a heel hook um uh, a 
oh god all at the same all time it's just <laughs> so so nasty yeah and eddie oh yeah eddie eddie if you, if you listen back to a lot of um interviews that eddie has done he really talks talks himself down a little bit as as, as an athlete goes like he never really he downplays his athleticism yeah. let me tell you man in 2004, what I see, what I saw in him when I showed up uh, a week before the the Hoyler rematch, and trained. Can you imagine that last week, that last yeah. eight ten days <laughs> at LA when Eddie's getting ready to fight Hoyler, and people are flying in from all moons around America. Um, Josh and I were the were among a couple of few internationals. We made the trip over for it, um, and we scheduled our training um, a training trip to be right when. Uh, Hoyler rematch was at the end of our trip so we could just party and dude it was so nuts yeah. dude can you imagine the talent that was on that mat we were just like this is fucking unbelievable dude well how much you would have yeah, learned I was in a that brown week belt, dude. I was a brown belt yeah you would have learned so much in that week as well just from being on as well team. and after the fight we learned a lot after the fight because Eddie just started spewing out all this data that he had collected from it that he he hadn't done before yeah. but the way he was C-cupping that knee um, that was something he hadn't done before. How easy those electric chair sweeps were. Um, just, just you know, pulling guard the way he did. Um, it was seemed like, why would you do that against one of the best passes in history? But um, it was, it was phenomenal, dude. But like I said, um, Hoyler grabbing the gate really saved his ass in the end. Yeah. And, um, but the clinching style of Ten Planet Jiu Jitsu. Um, leg entanglements, body pyramids, rubber guard, the truck, our, our back game, our mount game, our triangle game, our knee belly game, um, our side control attached shit, twist the side control, our north-south. I mean, if you just look at the warm-ups alone, there's, we, we put it up there for everyone to see. You know, We don't even hide our mm. secrets. You know, we just put our playbook up on our blackboards in our dojo so everyone can see. We take photos in front of it. And, yeah. But, you know... There's so much work that goes into it. So, yeah, the gi pants definitely um, helped Eddie enormously. And they helped me every night. I wear ankle sleeves. I wear a knee sleeve underneath my gi pants. I wear gi pants and a rash belt. And um, because, you know, who said you can't wear gi pants? Like, yeah. you can wear gi pants at ADCC if you want. Yeah. Did you know that? Yeah, I didn't know that. Yes. <laughs> it's, a, it's, it's just a submission tournament. But now oh. they just want to wear boardies and no shirt and be tough. Because <laughs> it's hard, dude. It's hard to get control of everybody. And the other thing is always see the 10th planet. Every 10th planet person wears a 10th planet gi. There's not too many. Oh, not gi, the rashi. So they're yes. always representing 10th planet whenever they're out on the, those mats. Mate, um, every legit, loyal 10p soldier out there they all rep the rash guard bro like why wouldn't you, you know? mm. if i've had sponsors say to me in the past oh, do you i said yeah but you've got to have 10 planet logos on there or else you can't do it like it's going to be mainly a 10 planet rash guard and then you just put you know whatever you want around it no worries there's no way are you going to see me in a rash guard without the 10 planet logo on it yeah no way <laughs> no way no, no way you know like i've been caught out a couple of times, like, we have photos online, actually even on my website. We just launched a brand new website, by the way, so tenantplanet.com.au, go check it out, it's sick. Great videos, great highlight reels, great photos of Eddie doing seminars, photos of the dojo, just great stuff. And 10th Planet um, real, warm-ups. Real, real, 10th Planet warm-ups on Instagram is a good one to follow as well. 
Yep, at Tempe Warm-Ups as well. That's a ripper. If you want to see, I post daily on that. Just just a theme of the day, you know. But they're all on there. They're all they're all marked A1, A2, A3, A4. They're all there. There's also uh, the um, the Instagram TV little uh, click. You can click on that Instagram TV button. And I've actually put some uh, little, um, uh, little recordings off MTS. Just a couple little here and there, just talking about warm-ups, talking about half-guard, talk about mentality towards training. And I always try to throw some of that stuff out there for people to get a more... Uh, little snippets of what it is about, you know, on the mat when he's teaching and why um, it's so sought after. Well, and from, he's remarkable. From the outside looking in, I, I, all I notice is everything, like you said, everything's written. It's all on the wall. You follow that, you'll get to the certain position. You put the time on the mat, you will get there. Other gyms, you turn up, let's just do this today. What are we going to do tomorrow? I don't know. We'll just see what happens the next day sort of thing and it's it, it's it's good to see that everything's just there you can follow it it's the abc and all that it's there it's, it's how are you you, you know how vast jiu-jitsu is mm, it's like a big tree <laughs> in every position yeah. that i know you know he knows he knows dude it's the well, we write it up because it's your know, hardest to keep it in your head you're <laughs> and crazy the the good it's thing, so the good thing Tenth Planet does they they to all the other um, people who do it different names. You have a lot more different names to what what I would use in my gym. I don't know half of the names of the, the stuff you you do in your gym because it's not we're not along the same lines. So we we just go along the yeah. names of the. It's usually the person who invented it. That's the name of the move. Where yeah, it's a language. It's the yeah. language of the of the it's, it's the culture of the environment, right? And let, let me just say something: you don't have to have warm ups in your school. You don't have to have a plan in your school. Every instructor is amazing. Every black belt in jiu jitsu is amazing. Like, look, everyone has their own style, and I'm sure they have a plan. And they might say to to us, I don't know, I don't know. We'll see. You know, but I'm sure they, they they spend hours agonizing over it, writing it out. I'm sure they all have a program. I'm sure they have a catalog, category cataloging appropriation assimilation process i'm sure they do i'm sure they do yeah. ours right there it's right there and we share our resources with the world yeah 10p warm-ups you don't have to be a 10 planet person mate i've got i've got a couple of guys in western australia right um these guys are bananas they've been following the podcast and following the jujitsu stuff on the podcast specifically and they've been asking us questions online and I just address the questions. I'm like, this is fucking great. No one else is asking me anything. I'm gonna, I'm gonna answer this, this this guy's questions. So Lewis, Lewis Richards, that's what he goes by on his Instagram. He's in Western Australia, and he's got a group of guys that train in his do at the dojo. Like he's part of a, a group. Like he's not the instructor. He's just a student there. But he's taking it to heart what we've been saying and doing, and he's been following the warm ups with a little group of, you know, little renegades in their dojo, mate. Over the last six months, their jiu-jitsu have gone like this. They are freaking out. They can't believe they go, we just do what you guys have been telling us to do. And it's working. Yep. It's working. Dude, there's not a week that doesn't go by that Lewis doesn't hit me up and just thanks me. And, and fucking, I swear to God, dude. That, and, and it's there. And for those that are courageous enough, fucking learn them. These are like some of the most high percentage transitions in all of no-gi jiu-jitsu for sub-only, um, MMA, if you're a CJJ guy, it's clinch-based, leg locks, 
back takes, now escapes, how to mount correctly, under jacking, arm triangles, dasters, Japanese neckties, omoplata transitions, rubber guard, twister attacks, the truck attacks, leg locks from the truck, mount. I said mount escapes. Yep. <laughs> the back, back takes. Jeez, um, it's so full. And you know what? Even if you just went through it to go, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Oh, what the hell's that? I've never seen that one before. Yeah. I'll grab that one. Say, go to the dojo 10 minutes early. Hey, Jimmy, you want to rock here? Come over here and grab him and stuff like Dude, I'm telling you, I'm telling you. It's there for everyone to maximize it as a resource. And just because you're not 10 feet, who cares, dude? Look, just fake it. Just just say you hate us and still do it because you're going to improve. Uh, the good, you're that's the good thing about the club I'm in. We, we, uh, we I think we're still Debine affiliated. But awesome. We're still open open to anything. Like, anyone can come in, anyone can train, anyone can show us anything. It's not like, this is the this is what we're doing. It's not, there's, like, the Gracie Baja, they're really, like, to their own. We all know. Yeah, the that's, that's just the environment. That's, that's just the culture of that system. It's not bad. Yeah. Everyone has us, DDS. Yeah. B-team now and 10th Planet. Yeah, yep. whatever. It's... it's it's all good, man. We, we just want love, too, because we, we give it. You know, we're cool with everybody, man. Yeah, well, I've, I've trained at you your know, gym. I've trained there. I was welcome. I walked in the walked in the front door. You welcomed me. I got to roll with some awesome dudes. Got smoked yeah. by everyone. <laughs> it was an awesome night. I learned a lot. I learned that eight minutes is a long bloody roll. <laughs> Up here, because it's hot, we only do, like, uh, five to seven because it's just too hot. <laughs> so... Got down there in eight minutes. I'm like, oh shit, are they going to shorten them up as the night goes on? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Because I probably come on the worst night. I was open mat and it was just rolls and it was just, yeah, smoke whoever comes in the door. <laughs> Friday night rolls. Yeah. Friday night rolls, eight minute rounds. This is how Eddie raised me on eight minute rounds. Yeah. Um, I've, had people, I've had people come in and say, oh, look, you know, we did like, we did like three minute rounds, like eight minutes. Because is he really, is he kidding? We're like, yeah. Yeah, we're not that kind of, look, eight minutes, it's, you you can't go, what it does, it slows you down enough Mm. that you're safe and you'll only be able to go super hard all round long if you're like, like in super condition. And usually the guys, you know what I mean? And the guys that are in super condition, I mean the highest levels and the fittest guys because you can just be fit, but you're not going to make four or five eight-minute rounds on your first no. visit. You're not going to do it. If you haven't been doing it, you're not going to do it. So you can be super fit, and you can last, but you're getting smoked. Like You're getting tapped the whole time, and you can make it. But it's the guys that have got really good jiu-jitsu and excellent conditioning. Oh, my God. Those guys can do eight, nine rounds You know, in the heat. That's what we try. That's what we do. We go hard. On a Friday night, we do about, look, you know, we've done a few 10, 12 rounds, nine usually on a Friday night, nine, eight minute rounds, yeah. one minute rest right on the clock. So do yeah, your math, everyone, like, that's a like lot. I don't like people sort of <laughs> sitting around, I don't like people not starting right on the buzzer, like, I don't like that shit. Like, yeah. I try and keep everybody to that one minute rest because they'll thank me later. You know, um, I don't, you know, um, look, I encourage all my students to roll, you know, um, every round and if they have to just pace themselves better they'll learn they'll and learn. also what, and look, what else do you know, i learn is guys that come through to the advanced programs they need to sit out around 
Oh, you also <laughs> learn how to pick your partners. You, you, you be there for a while. You know who who will go a bit lighter and roll controlled. You're like, okay, I'll pick them next because I know I don't have to use a lot of energy. They'll probably still better than me, but energy. they're roll controlled. Exactly. So just yeah, that's it, a real comes down to um, picking your partners, knowing who's next, and be the first to pick the partner. Don't be the last because th- then you're la- you're the, you're yeah. left with the person you probably don't want. In your next yeah, role. well, I'm lucky because in my position, I get to pick all my roles. So, yep. and I always pick the fucking hardest roles every single night. Like <laughs> now and then, very rarely, but now and then, if I'm super tired or I'm injured, um, I might go with some some you know uh, newer people and whatnot. It's a good chance to roll with them because I wouldn't usually roll with them. But I roll with all my students, but not always. Yeah. But I usually have you know I like to sit around the purples, you know, if there's browns, of course. You know, Regan's a black belt, so every time he's there, I'm going to roll with him at least a round, yeah. at least, you know, because because you get a chance to practice new things with the lower ranks. Um, if you're tired, you can work on your defense. If you really want to be tested, you just line up the rolls before we start rolling. So I'm like, all right, Aiden, you're one. Daniel, you're two. Daniel, you're three. Manny, you're four. Regan, you're five. Like, I can't get out of it. Yeah. <laughs> Not to be. Can't get out of it. So I encourage, and you know what? This is not about, oh, we're fucking, this is how we do it. Like, that's not where I'm coming from with this. Eddie has never, this is just the time that he thought that was best to develop a jiu-jitsu player adequately. So the eight-minute time is what Eddie handed down to me. So, like I said, it's kind of long enough so you can really practice with a person and get things going, make mistakes, get a few taps, work on some new things. Um... But it would take the recklessness or the, you know, the jiu-jitsu term, and I don't hate to use this, like, you know, like, you know, this, they spaz, you know, people just bah, always, you know, ripping out like it's life and death. Like, fuck, you know, you know how people spaz. get hurt from that? I mean, really? But most injuries so, come from white belts. Yes. <laughs> Sorry? Most injuries come from white belts. <laughs> so the eight minutes is good because then I can just sweep and pass, and then I can just put a couple of... Um, hard stoppers in there I just put some wedges in and just wear them down with a bit of pressure and then they start to relax when they start to relax then I start to make a move get a tap start again and and look the first one might take a couple of minutes but then taps four, five and six come within yeah. the next three minutes you know yeah. what I mean it's- so you just have to learn look as a jiu-jitsu person as, as a higher level you have to learn to to, to, um, to maintain that you have to learn to deal with it you know but, but this is just about training this is purely about training and being uncomfortable is a big part of training. And those eight minutes are uncomfortable fucking minutes. Yeah. And you're going to start okay, and you're going to feel good, and then round three, kids, four, five, and then you got purple belt, brown belt, black belt, purple belt, black belt, you want to roll again, coach? Oh, fire. You know, <laughs> like, yeah, okay. You don't say no because you know that if you can just get through that because it's a good opportunity when you're beat down, tired, exhausted, end of the week, and you got a brown belt, a purple belt, gun, 20 years younger than you, competitive, fucking medals coming out of his asshole, asks you for a role, that's like a great opportunity for me. It's like, oh my God, he's bigger, stronger, younger, accomplished, I'm dead, I'm tired, fucking hell, eight minutes, let's go. If I can survive and maybe get something going, I'm going to be like, fuck. <laughs> like, I, you know what I mean? Because it's, you, you just have to, you just have to learn to use every aspect of the dojo yeah. to make you better. And if you're not rolling with the light guys, the fast guys, the heavy guys, um, the real technical guys, the dangerous leg lockers, but you know, just, 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 you know, 
when you're in trouble, you're not short tap. If you're not short tap, yeah. just, the, the, you know, look, it's uncomfortable for some people. The hardest but, one I, I find is you know, flexible people. They're some of the hardest people if they got technique to beat in any move because their flexibility stops. Like, especially get someone in side control, you think, oh, I'm just about to get on knee right on here. Then the leg comes out of nowhere, puts it over your head, and before you know it, you're in a triangle. <laughs> you, might be in trouble, you might be in a buggy choke. You yeah. know, there's a new choke going around, <laughs> yeah, that buggy the, choke. Yeah, the Rotolo brothers. Trap <laughs> system, Jeremiah Vance made that famous. Yeah. That's going around too. So you got to watch your P's and Q's in side control. That's why, that's why Twister side control is such a great position because it really nullifies a lot of that stuff, yeah. you know? Sitting back on their chest, you're right on their chest, on their bicep, their arms are hung up like this. You've got a far side underhook under the elbow, you're controlling the far leg, because inverters, flexible guys, yeah. inverters, mm. you've got to be able to control them. Yeah. You've got to get good. Mm. When, you, when, you, when you pass, Tony, you've got you to be great at not only passing, but you've got to be great at staying past. Yeah. And then when you're, when you're great at staying past, you have to make them pay. Yeah. You've got to make them pay. And then when you start going into the make and pay, then you got to start to dance in them between of never let them recover. Yeah. Although you may not be able to finish them, but don't ever let them recover. Like as soon as you pass, you want them to go, fuck. Yeah. They're, they're just going to have to face a whole military force. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, you've got three or four moves ahead of you already. There's like you're doing yeah. this and the next so thing's done. You know, so, yeah. There's danger everywhere. There's danger mm. top and bottom. But yeah, those flexible guys that like to invert, you have to be able to control that shit. That's why, you know, smash passing, uh, we have uh, moves called attack mode, flat mode. They're like, um, it's called wall of flesh. You're just building a wall of flesh right across their body, yeah. pinning their arm, isolating their arms and legs. It's just a debilita- debilitating um, position where you're kind of almost north-south. Your head's on their far hip. You're blocking their near hip. You're overhooking their head. Your head's low. You're smashing with your ribs. They're all fucked up. Like, it's a real bad position for them. Yeah. So you, you, your jiu-jitsu doesn't only consist of attacks and defenses, the jiu-jitsu also comprises of passing, staying past, and techniques of pinning, like being able to control those spaces and win the battles when they go, you know, dub, they try and ghost escape, they try and pull guard on you, they try and run to their knees, they try and bully rush you, they try and stand up with underhooks, they try and push you off, they try and get up with a forearm in the face, yeah. they can do everything. <laughs> you have to learn how to manage all that shit, yeah. you know? It's not easy. Yeah. No, and mate... I'm two. I'm about eight minutes away from picking my kids up from school. <laughs> All right. Hey, thanks for hanging out. Hey, no. I've got to go to. I've got another podcast to do. Oh my god. Buddy, I've got anyway, your own, it's just yeah, ten, your own hey. tenth planet Tony. podcast. And mate, we're gonna. I'm gonna have to get you back on because we, we were going to talk about something else, but we didn't get go down those lines. So it was good to hear your your versions of how you um, were brought up and all, all the. All the little <laughs> naughty little things you got up to when you were a kid, <laughs> but oh, I'm definitely going to get you back for oh, round shit. two because um, we haven't even spoke about the yeah all the jabs and and all the crap that's been happening in Melbourne and all the stuff you've had to go through. Like I'm so lucky. I live in North Queensland where we haven't. I had to wear a mask for two weeks. That's the worst it was. So I haven't been through none of the shit most people in this country have been through. So it'll be good to hear your side of the story from the pretty much the epicenter in, in Melbourne, what seems to be. So, yeah. Be, the belly um, of the belly of the beast. <laughs> so, mate. It's, it's so fucked, bro. Yeah. All you got to know, all you got to know that it's so fucked. <laughs> it's so, fucked. <laughs> so, if you want to hear, uh, if you want an informative podcast, 
that is not going to hold back bullshit, listen to the 10th Planet podcast. Especially the last one, it's number podcast that I previously come from. It's ten P. Ah, oh, the podcast. ten is it? Ten Sorry, ten P. Oh, yeah, ten podcast. Sorry, it's ten planet. Ten P on Instagram is it, or is it the ten podcast on Instagram? It's a ten T E N podcast on Insta. Yeah. So check all that out. And the last one, number one one six, I listened to the other day. Had a lot of informative stuff on it. And um, even the one before, number 115, had uh, a little snippet from Toby, Tony Robbins that really stood out for me. So have a listen to those two, and um, we might even get Frank back on and we'll, we'll go over some. Even have a listen to the Joe Rogan podcast that he had on just the other day. He had a follower who's a, a CNN reporter on pretty much... The, he's a top doctor in, in reporting on about it, and Joe Rogan stumped him on a few things. So have a listen to that one as well. Interesting, and, interesting times, without a doubt. Go pick up your kids. I appreciate it. A big shout out to all of you out there that have supported the Ten Planet movement in whatever way, shape, or form. Um, we appreciate your support. Um, I'm on Instagram at under Ten Planet Melbourne, so you can go fo- follow me there. There's some stuff I put up there, some training stuff and some videos and fight stuff and UFC stuff. And anyway, check it out if you want. I'm on Facebook as well under Frank Barker. You can go there or 10th Planet Melbourne. We have our own Facebook. Also, our website is 10thplanet.com.au. It's pretty killer. Go check it out. We've worked hard on it and um, we're super proud of it. So go check it out. And um, yeah, don't be afraid to hit me up in the DMs and let me know what's going on. If you've got questions, I've got too much time. I do nothing all day. I just train and stuff like that. I'm just really lazy. So I need something to do. So please. <laughs> really lazy. Just contact. train all day. Just really lazy. <laughs> Thanks a lot, friend. Friend. Uh, Frank. You're, one. No, You're an awesome you. friend. Thanks, and, um, Tony. Have a great weekend. Thanks for having me. And I'm going to speak to you again. See you, mate. Later. Bye. Thanks a lot, Frank. It meant a lot for me for you to come on my podcast. So thanks, buddy. I want to talk a bit more about Frank's podcast. It's called The Ten Podcast. He does it with many Zanelli, like I said. It went from a jujitsu podcast to all the fuckery and misinformation around the current epidemic. Over a year in lockdown in Melbourne, Frank and his friends and family have been through. His small business has been nearly devastated. All the people in the area where he lives as a small business has been devastated all because of the misinformation and misguided people are in the positions they're in so what they suggest is you do your own research i do my own research and um that's all frank asks pretty much of everybody in his podcast is to do your own research so check frank barker out the 10 podcast and um do yourself a favor this podcast is brought to you by fishkins au I want to tell you something, my young fella bought, caught his first trout wearing the latest fish skins shirt. He's excited, I actually helped him fillet it, he actually filleted it mostly himself and um, he packed it away and he wanted us to eat it that night, he was so excited. So I think I've turned someone into this mad keen fisherman that just doesn't want to stop, just like this music. Bam, see you later.